Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. 105.9 FM and AM 630 WMAL. This is Plan for Life Now with your hosts, Dave Murray and Steve Kiliani. Good morning, everybody. Hey there. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the show, and uh, today's a big day for some of you, because, but not much, not all of, certainly, of our WMAL audience, because we know that our WMAL audience is pretty good about getting their taxes done yeah. on time. These are not the people that are waiting till the last minute, cramming things in, and hold on a second, you might even be saying, God, these guys are clueless. Today is already, what is today, April 17th. These guys are clueless. Taxes were already due. Ah, but wait, they're not due till tomorrow. And why that is, I should have looked this up again, but I think it has something to do with Emancipation Day that the D.C. government celebrates, but not the federal government celebrates. Uh, Respects takes the day off. Right. So, wow. I think that's the reason. But if I'm wrong, don't email me because I... Don't really care that much. Who knew that? But I do know that your taxes are Emancipation Day got you an extra day to get your taxes in. Right. So hopefully you get your taxes in. And uh, this year I had to pay taxes again. So that makes a huge streak for me now. A streak of uh, being self-employed and having to pay taxes. That's all right. Kind of the way it goes. We always pay taxes. You know what I mean. Not getting a refund. Oh, I see. You know what I'm saying. Right. So, but anyway. Well, and we thought that this would be a good time to stop and talk about taxation and how that affects your overall retirement plan. Because I think a lot of people, you know, partially comes from not fully understanding how taxes work. And part of it comes from, hey, I'll just deal with that later. A lot of people don't really think about that when they're thinking about their retirement plan. Yeah, I'm surprised how few people not how few people actually know or understand the taxation and things like their retirement accounts. Now, you and I deal with this every day, so yeah, we know so, it. And I'm also guessing the majority of WMAL listeners know it. Yeah, who we're are listening to the show, but, these people. But there's certainly a large percentage of people who don't understand. Yeah, so stuff. here are a couple of the things that I hear, we hear all the time that, you know, just surprise, shock from people. Um Wait a minute, my 401k slash TSP is going to be taxed when I take it out? When I withdraw it, actually live off that money? We hear that occasionally, where people aren't aware of, don't know, or surprised by the fact that their 401k or traditional IRA assets are going to be taxed when that money comes out. That's surprising to some people. So if you think, hey, I'm doing really well, I've got a million dollars in my 401k, well, yeah, you've got a million, but Uncle Sam's got a claim on a big part of that. Sure. So you're going to have to pay taxes on that 
And in the end, you're only going to wind up with, you know, whatever percentage less there. Right. Because you were growing that money. As right. you were growing that money in those accounts, you weren't paying capital gains taxes or any taxes. Right. Here, here's another one that we hear a lot, uh, from people. They're shocked that their social security income is taxable. Yeah. And it's not a hundred percent taxable. Here's how it breaks down. If your income is below a certain threshold, then only 50% of your social security is considered taxable income. For most of our clients and people out there listening, frankly, in the DC area, if your income is over, I think the number is 44,000 for married filing jointly. If your income's over that number, 85% of your social security benefit is going to be taxable. So a lot of people say, well, wait a second. I paid taxes on this money when I contributed to social security. And now I'm going to pay taxes on the income I get out. All right. Don't try to fight it. It just is what it is. Don't right. kill them. Don't so shoot the message. 85% of whatever's over 44,000. Is that the deal? No, it becomes 85% wow. taxable when you hit that range there. Gotcha. Yeah. So, and once again, don't confuse that with 85% tax. That's not what I'm saying. It's not right. if you get 10,000, you got to pay 8,500. Right. No. Saying, if you get 10,000 in benefit, 8,500 of that becomes subject to ordinary income taxes. Right. Now on other, you pay taxes on capital gains tax on some of your investments. Oh, absolutely. So let's, let's kind of dive into that because if you haven't taken a look at this recently, you might have gotten uh, a little bit of a surprise when you were doing your taxes this year because Let's go back and try to remember what happened in 2015. And I know that's so long ago as investors, it's it's practically out of our minds. But 2015 was not a great year to be an investor. If you recall, the S&P 500 was basically flat. I think it maybe ended up the year up a percent. If you had international investments, they were probably down. If you had commodity-based investments, certainly down. Real estate, kind of flat. So a lot of people, they see a bad year in the market and they assume, oh, I'm probably not going to have any capital gains. Well, you can have capital gains distributions in some of your investments. And at the end of the day, you still have to pay taxes on that, even when your investments lost money. So this is a really critical thing to look at. And it's should be for any decent planner should be part of their process is to review the tax efficiency of your non-IRA, what we call non-qualified money. Because if somebody shows you, hey, I got an investment rate of return of 8%, but you wind up paying taxes on all that every single year, well, that's going to erode your actual rate of return. If you're able to get a 6% rate of return and defer taxes on that into the future, that actually could wind up putting you ahead in the end. Yeah. So you always have to look at what you call the taxable equivalent yield or the, the after-tax return there, which you know I'll say is not an easy thing to do. This is not something that most people are going to sit down, crunch through these numbers, and figure out what's the best, uh, the most tax-efficient way to right. invest and, here. And certainly, though, when you look at the kind of planning that we do, and now we're doing retirement planning and we're projecting 
how much income you're going to have coming from various sources, whether it's your qualified accounts or non-qualified and Social Security and any pension that you might have. Right. You got to factor in as you're planning for the future. What's, you know, some taxation. Right. Obviously, on these dollars coming out. So what am I really going to have at the end of each month as yeah. opposed to what does that gross number look like? Well, and, and here's another kind of an extension of that thought there. And the, a question we'll get from people is, what if I move to a different state when I retire? So Maryland, Virginia, D.C., sadly, don't really give any big tax breaks to people who are retired. Um, but there are states out there that either don't have a state income tax, so Florida, Tennessee, Texas, they come to yeah. mind, or states that don't tax pension income, like Pennsylvania. So some people will say, hold on a second, I'm going to actually retire to Pennsylvania, and this federal pension that I'm getting right now in Maryland, I might be paying 7 8% taxes. I'm not going to pay any state taxes on that when I live in Pennsylvania. So now that's a... You know, that's a whole complicating factor there, which is a good thing. Um, not that you should always base everything on that. You know, I, yeah. I've had clients before that move, moved down to Tennessee because they said, oh, no state income tax. And it wasn't the right fit for them. Didn't work out. They wound up coming That's because there's more things than just money. Right. Pittsburgh's a great city. I have relatives who live in Pittsburgh. Love okay. Pittsburgh. Would I want to live? And the cost of living is much lower than here, besides what you just mentioned. Right. Would I want to live in Pittsburgh? Not me. Too cold. No, no thanks. Here's too cold. Right. Let alone there. Here's about as cold as I can handle in the winter. Yeah. So everybody has their own reasoning. But all this stuff fits into, it's interesting, everything we discussed here, working with people, the, nothing we discussed here was picking investments, Right. picking the right stocks, mutual funds, or ETFs or annuities, or long-term care insurance, or all that stuff. None of this was product-related, but it's certainly planning-related. Right. And I think the you know this is the stuff that goes into putting together a retirement plan. It's not just picking the investments. It's dealing with all this stuff and factoring all these things in to put together a plan for the future that's realistic, uh, which, is, which is just part of the work that we do. Our seminars coming up in May, and all of a sudden... May's not that far from now. Retirement strategies for TSP rollovers. Tuesday, May 10th, Normandy Farm Restaurant, Potomac, Maryland. Wednesday, May 11th at Clyde's in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. So TSP, what's that? The Thrift Savings Plan. And if you're retired from the federal government, you're about to retire. Anyone who's in the federal government, 59 and a half or older, you're still working there, but you, because you're 59 and a half or older, you can roll over the thrift savings plan. Now, while we're talking about taxes, what's the taxable implication of rolling over the thrift savings plan? No, when when we talk about rolling over, we're talking about a non-taxable event. So whether that's you're still working for the government, you're over that age of 59 and a half, and you do that in-service withdrawal, not taxable, or you've actually retired from the government, you've left service, and you roll that money over. Neither one of those events is triggering taxable income. It's not taxable till you actually take the money out and have possession of it. Retirement strategies for TSP rollovers. Tuesday, May 10th, Normandy Farm, Potomac. Wednesday, the 11th, Clyde's and Tyson's. Dinner and seminar completely free of charge. We start right about 6.30, 6.35 on those evenings. To register, two ways. One is our phone line, 888-582-4582. 
The other is our website, planforlifenow.com, 888-582-4582, or planforlifenow.com, 888-582-4582, or go to the website, planforlifenow.com. We'll be right back. Plan for Life Now with Dave Murray and Steve Kiliani. Welcome back to the show. If you were in our business, if you were like, what's going on in the inner circles of financial advisors lately? Yeah. What's going on behind the scenes in this exciting world? You would be privy to what's going on behind the scenes, which is a lot of advisors worrying about the new fiduciary rules that came down recently by from the Department of Labor. Now, you out there in the real world are not thinking about this at all. (laughs) And I give you credit for being in the real world, not thinking about this. But in our world... Our world, this is huge. Right. And now, we didn't even talk about this last week on the show because it had only come down a a day or two earlier, and it was a thousand-page document. So, you know, the initial response from a lot of the firms looking at it was, Hold on a second. We got to read through this. You know, we, we've got to have some time to, to dig through it and all the implications. So let me set the table for what this is and what it could have been and what actually wound up happening. And we, we might need to continue this in another segment even. Um, so what the fiduciary rule is, and this has been going back and forth for a couple of years now is the Department of Labor wanting People who recommend investment products to people in retirement accounts, they want anyone who recommends those investment products to be held to this standard called a fiduciary standard. And the fiduciary standard basically says that you have to act in the best interest of the client. Right, right? which seems like... uh... I think many of you are thinking, oh, I thought that you are, I just thought that was something that yeah. was already in place. Right. I mean, you don't have to act in my best interest. So you can hmm. actually say, nope, wasn't in their best interest. There has to be a rule for that? Okay. Right. Tell me more. All right. So here's, here's why this had to be a rule and why there's all this confusion because the way different accounts are structured and the way different accounts are regulated without boring you with all this stuff, is it? it fee-based advisory account is it a commission-based account there were different standards in one case you already did have a fiduciary standard in one case you had what's called a suitability standard which basically says hey i could show that it was suitable right now but maybe it wasn't really in your best interest so the department of labor rule comes in and is essentially to boil it down it's going to make a fiduciary standard across products so whether it is fee-based, whether it is commission-based, and that's a good thing. So first of all, let's start with that. That's progress. That's a step it, it in is. the right direction. Right. Now, where uh, I'm going to throw in a little bit of opinion here, not too, too much, but a little bit of opinion, where it falls short is, well, hold on. Let me back up a step. So when we talk about commission-based products or fee-based products, I think it's good that they allowed for both of those types of things because previous iterations of this were basically saying, nope, you can't do a commission-based product no matter what. And I know commission-based to some people is a four-letter word, 
but you can actually show examples where it costs someone significantly less than a fee-based account. Right? It's not quite so black and white. So I'm glad they allowed for both. Where they stopped short and what they didn't really do is to curb some of the abuses of some of these advisors who all they can do are commission-based products. So all they can do is sell you something commission-based, and they still have to abide by that fiduciary standard, but they don't have to disclose compensation. They don't have to disclose if they're getting more compensation on one product versus another. So I, I think it still leaves a little bit to be desired, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. Right, and it's getting to what you, you know, in general, you should expect as a consumer that your financial advisor is putting together this whole plan, mm-hmm. whatever that plan may entail. Because remember, there's a lot of products involved in a complete financial plan. Stocks, right. bonds, ETFs, annuities, life insurance products, other life insurance products like long-term care insurance, whole bunch of stuff that's involved in your overall plan. For as much as possible, you want the, the standard to be whatever your financial advisor is doing to be held to in your best interest, which means... In a worst case scenario, if they were to go back on that, you were to, you know, take legal action against an advisor, they'd have to prove that what I put together here right. was in your best interest. Yep. Now, that could get up to be muddled, but at least it puts the well, onus. It's a much stronger. It's, than just suitable. Suitable. Right. I mean, suitable is it's a pretty nebulous term. Yeah, I mean, when it ultimately comes down to it, and frankly, why a lot of these big firms, brokerage firms, uh, investment companies, whatever, why they were fighting this is it gives more more of a solid ground for the investor to stand on in any sort of arbitration or dispute where they're saying, hold on a second, <laughs> this really wasn't you know, in the client's best interest to do this. That's a more solid ground to stand on. It, it you know, ultimately makes a greater likelihood that that client gets compensated for, for an advisor's misdeeds. So our seminar coming up. In May is Retirement Strategies for TSP Rollovers. That's the Thrift Savings Plan. Tuesday, May 10th, Normandy Farm Restaurant in Potomac, Maryland. Wednesday, May 11th, at Clyde's in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. As always, we do a dinner and seminar. It's completely free of charge. Starts at 630. And this one is designed specifically for anyone retired from the federal government already. You're about to retire or or you've left the government or anyone 59 and a half or older because all of you can roll over the thrift savings plan without penalty. Now, the question is, do I do it? How do I do it? What strategies do you do if you do it? That's the stuff we'll be talking about. To register, go to our phone line, 888-582-4582, or the website, planforlifenow.com, 888-582-4582, or go to our website, planforlifenow.com. We'll do some news and traffic, and we'll be right back. Plan for Life Now with Dave Murray and Steve Kiliani. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us for another sun. Oh, do I hear? Wait a second. There it is. Here he comes. Here he comes again to save the day. Barry Ritholtz. 
investment columnist and unpaid copywriter for the Plan for Life Now radio show. Once again, with a well-researched, well-thought-out piece here that gives us material right. for the second half of the show. He puts together material so we don't have to. That's fantastic. So this this article in the Post last week was called, What are the Chances of Recession? Not What You'd Think. Um, so for the last five years, all we've been hearing in the United States, and I would argue even more than five years, I'd probably take it all the way back to 09, is we're on the verge of slipping into a recession. It's it's going to happen. Don't you worry. It's it's right here. It's, we're about to slip into a recession. Or actually, I don't know why I said don't you worry. You should worry. Right, worry. There's people screaming at you. It's going to happen. So once again, as Barry so often does, he puts this in some historical context. He gives us some hard facts and data. He helps us step back from all of this, take an objective look. But before we get to that objective look, yeah. I've read a couple articles in the financial circles there okay. that basically say we're getting. I've read a couple articles that it's almost like 100%. This isn't me saying these are articles I've read. Oh, yeah. That we're going to have a recession in 2016. So this is well, that's probably part of, why Barry wrote this article. That's part of what he, he's referring to here. He said, we read that recession is imminent or 100% guaranteed in 2016 as two hmm. pundits declared he recently. Read, he must have been reading the same stuff I was reading. Yeah, did he consult with you on this? No, or? he just put together all okay. that material for us. Because I, I didn't see your name in the byline. No, here. Is that I, nor do I expect anything. That? Okay. I just thought I don't expect it. I just like the fact that he helps us put the show together for free. (laughs) So, I mean, he references here, first of all, like I said, some of that historical context going back to 1926, looking at how often we're in a recession um, once every 59 months. So about 18 percent of the time uh, recessions last a little more than a year in the post-World War Two era. It's been a little bit shorter and less frequent than that. But, you know, you can kind of use those numbers generally. So he takes a look at, you know, why are these people calling for this imminent recession? Um, and this is just taking a, a list here. I don't know how many months are we talking since July or August? You know, the last six or seven months there. Um, you know, here's the list. A few months ago, it was the high-yield credit crisis. Uh, yeah. Right? So if you guys remember, you know, junk bonds were kind of blowing up, and that was on the heels of oil prices blowing up. Uh, next thing, we had the China debt bomb. China uh, blowing up. Yeah. Um, and the Chinese market crash there. Um, then we had earnings contractions and a strengthening of a U.S. dollar. Um, so last year, it was peak earnings and a weakening U.S. dollar. Let's not forget about Brexit, right? And in case you're not following, Brexit was the British exit from the European Union. That I was forgot about you know, that. tossed around there. <laughs> Uh, which is apparently this year's version. In fact, the first time I heard Brexit, I thought it was just kind of a dopey uh, announcer who's mispronouncing Grexit, which was last year's. Uh, that was Greece's exit from the EU. And the first time I heard Brexit, I was like, oh, my gosh, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, apparently I didn't know what I was listening to. Um, so neither one of those happened. Uh, we had high oil prices. Wasn't that long ago. That was a problem. Oh, wait a second. Now we've got low oil prices. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. So apparently either one of these is a problem. And now our latest fear, 
Maybe less so for some people listening than others. But the latest fear is the rising political risk of a Trump presidency. Right? Wow. A lot of people are saying, oh, my gosh, what if this guy actually pulls this off? Wow, and... I was never thinking he actually had a chance to win the actual election. But I obviously, hey. there are, as he points out, millions of people part of a movement that would disagree. Right. Fine. Could happen. So, you know, he's pointing to all these things, and, and I know we've done these kind of examples in the past where you look at a reason that a market declines or even has concern for decline, and in hindsight, you can say, okay, it wasn't as big of a deal as we thought it was, but you can just take a very short snapshot, the last six, seven, eight months, and you've had all these things going on, and they could all be potentially leading to a recession or not. Um, so what the article tries to do is to take this step back and say, what are the, the basic items that we actually need to see, right? At the end of the day, it's not going to be Brexit. It's not going to be, that could be a contributing factor, but that's not the hard data that we need to see. It's not going to be specifically oil or specifically China. Um, so we can create this basic checklist to tell us when, We've had an economic expansion, a cycle that's run its course. All right. Do we have full employment? Yeah. Well, according to the numbers right now, yeah, we do. Do we have wage gains? Not well, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if you've you read this or you kind of memorized this in advance, but your responses are really nailing the uh what he puts in parentheses. What did he say? I didn't read full, it in advance, actually. I just full saw unemployment? it and figured you would read it. Yeah. That's un- how far I went into this segment. I found something like you do it and Barry do it. <laughs> full unemployment was check, right? And that right. was your response. Right. Wage gains. Eh, Is that what he wrote? He wrote right. hardly, okay. right? It's just kind of your response. Right. Uh, inflation, once again. Not really. Eh, not really. You know, 1.7% is is well below recession levels. Uh, and lastly, you typically have an aggressive Federal Reserve tightening interest rates to a point where they get too high. Um, right now, that's not happening. And we're still in a very accommodative interest rate policy. So you're just not seeing right. the hard Opted in April there. not to raise rates again. Right. Um, so. But you know what? If you go and you go out to Google and you decide you want to Google... Recession in 2016. Um, or no, I'll take this back. This is recession in 2015. So this is going back to before 2015. Um, Fortune magazine had a big article, The Case for a Global Recession in 2015. Uh, this is before 2015. Bloomberg, uh, predictors of the 29 crash. 29 crash, as I recall, was pretty bad. It was bad. 29 crash. We see a 65% chance of that in 2015. Well, that didn't happen. No. Uh, CNBC, plunging oil prices and strengthening U.S. dollar could force the U.S. into recession. Uh, the Economist, global recession seems most likely outcome in 2015. Uh, Reuters, uh, Eugene Fama says global recession risk on the rise in 2015. So, okay, what does this all mean and what does it have to do with your actual financial plan? Now, what's the point in all of this? The point in all of this is you can't be basing your investment decisions on whether or not you think a recession is coming next year 
the year after, the year after that, whatever. And this, I would take this article and show it to anyone who has their own personal opinion. Not that I disrespect your personal opinion. I just think it's probably about as valuable as any of these opinions, which is not so much. You know, Fortune Magazine, Bloomberg, Nobel laureates like Eugene Fama, they're predicting these things in 2015. They were wrong. Just because you or your buddy or somebody else has a theory about where the investment markets or the economy is going doesn't mean that it's actually going to happen. Right. We don't we just don't base our planning on short term stuff. Right. Whether it's all the stuff you mentioned or a recession. Um, at the same time, you have to plan. If you're over, remember, we we focus on people over 55. Yeah. For the most part, 55 and older and closer to retiring. And if you're in that position, you got to think about a recession happening. You got to plan for it. It may not happen this year or next year or whenever, but what, it, what does the recession mean? It could certainly mean sluggish stock market returns or poor returns in your stock investments. And it could also mean, guess what? You're older. Guess what older workers are for a lot of companies. <laughs> and even when you, you know, you're not supposed to have age discrimination in these situations, but you see the writing on the wall when someone wants you out the door. Well, that basically means being shoved out the door right quicker and you're not working as long as you wanted to and that is a big issue for people over 55 and it, it becomes more magnified yeah so in I, a recession I, so you have to prepare for this stuff well no yeah i mean let me be clear i i don't think i think that if you didn't plan for a recession you'd be 100 percent wrong i just don't think that you should invest planning on this recession happening at some certain point in time you know making a decision based on well, is the, is the next recession going to hit this year? Is it going to be the year after? I, I don't care about the timing of it. Right. We just always assume that you're going to retire and right. something bad's probably right. going to happen. You have a game plan that's set for the long term and it's set for bad things happening. Right. Versus, I'm worried about something. And I swear, when, when these times when we have these meetings with people, these occasionally this stuff happens, I do my very best not to roll my eyes <laughs> in front of people who aren't you and me or non-professionals because yeah. the rolling of the eyes you feel like it pretty much when someone brings up should we move and change everything we're doing remember this happened years ago sure. i'll remind you of this one what because i think there's going to be a war in the middle east yeah in the next three months right do you remember that one? Oh, absolutely i remember it was going to be a nuclear bomb it was pretty it was i don't want to say 100 percent. it was like 99 percent certain it was going to happen according to this person yeah, I, didn't I mean, happen, but it didn't I'm happen. Not... You have to be prepared, but when you start to move in a short-term way, in a timing, what right. is that ultimately? To you, it might sound like I'm just being cautious. To when you, if you were to look at it non-emotionally, it's it's timing. Right. It's trying to time the market in a, in a way that is related to uh, outside events mm -hmm. that once again we can't predict, and that's what I think things get dangerous, especially as they relate to your retirement plan. Yeah, but what you can predict, what you can prepare for is, let's say you've got the worst luck out there. You're just that person who feels like your timing is bad on everything, and you retire, and that happens to be the day that that nuclear event does happen, that there is a big decline in the market, and it does take several years to recover. Does that ruin your financial plan? Is that is that just game over? You're right. totally out of luck? Or do you have some plan in place where you say, 
I can ride this out because of the different elements in my plan. The stocks, yeah, they're hurting. But I've got bonds. I've got fixed income. I've got annuities. I've got other elements in there that allow me to ride that out. And we have a great long-term benchmark to ride something out. The benchmark would be how would this have occurred? What would happen to my plan during the Great Recession? Right. What a great benchmark to plan against. It gives you an idea of about as close as you can get to financial Armageddon. Right. And, and, And pretty recent. To use as some sort of benchmark for that. Our our seminar coming up is Retirement Strategies for TSP Rollovers. It's Tuesday, May 10th, Normandy Farm Restaurant in Potomac, Maryland. Wednesday, May 11th, Clyde's and Tyson's. It is specifically designed for people retired from the federal government. People about to retire or you've already left and you're working somewhere else. Anyone 59 and a half or older who has a TSP, whether you're working there or not, because all of you can roll over the thrift savings plan. Then the question is, what do you do with it? How do you make this chunk of money part of your retirement plan? If you're interested, come, go to our phone line, 888-582-4582. That's the 24-hour Plan for Life Now hotline. Register on the phone line, 888-582-4582, or on the website, planforlifenow.com, 888-582-4582 or planforlifenow.com, 888-582-4582, or register on our website, planforlifenow.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Plan for Life Now, 105.9 FM and AM 630 WMAL. Welcome back to the show. We think our seminar, this particular seminar, is a unique one that we do that's coming up in May. And, I mean, let's face it, if you listen to the station all weekend long, everybody's promoting what they do and it's all unique or this or that. But I haven't heard a lot of promotion for those of you with the Thrift Savings Plan. Mm -hmm. You're a government worker and you have a TSP and you're at that stage that you can roll it over and you have a decision to make, should I roll over? some of this money or all this money or not. Yeah, and I mean, there are pros and cons to it. This is not a black and white decision for everybody. Um, so you've got to figure out you know, what matters the most to you. So for some government employees, you know, they're retiring. They have a FERS pension. They have Social Security. This TSP really has to be designed or structured to produce that extra income in retirement. So they call that the three-legged stool in the in the government lingo there. But that three-legged stool, you've got to figure out, how do I create that third leg? And we always talk about, just in general investment plans, trying to balance this idea of income from a portfolio, liquidity and capital preservation, and then long-term growth. I mean, those are competing interests within your portfolio And you've got to figure out the best way to achieve each one of them. There are other considerations when you look at the TSP in particular. Um, And the big consideration comes down to the flexibility of that account. I know we've talked about this in the past, but that flexibility of when you take money out of the TSP, you are allowed to set up monthly distributions. This is what a lot of people do. I want a monthly distribution. It'll be $2,000 a month. 
I think that'll that'll be necessary. That'll be what I need to take care of my expenses. You can only change that distribution once per year. So you've got to wait until December of the following year to change that distribution. Right. This is different than a 401k. Or just a regular IRA. Or a regular or IRA else. or any other account. Right. So for some clients where they say, you know, gosh, I, I don't have I don't have an income need. Not I don't I'm not really counting on that TSP money. I think it's a big deal if I just kind of leave it there. No, it's that's if you don't really need that money to live off of and you're never gonna tap into that for emergency expenses. You know, we all know these things come up. You know, all of a sudden you need a car, you need a new roof, whatever. So, but and and also, I think from us doing this for a while, I know it seems like the rules of the TSP were designed for the old retiree, the the old, the old CSRS, yeah. the CSRS pension, where you're more likely to not have to touch sure. that, with maybe the exception of getting an RMD out of it, right? You know, versus the FERS retiree who are now you have to actually put a game plan together that will involve at some point in the future maybe some uh supplementing retirement income yeah i mean the the first employees it tends to be a little bit more active in the sense that you're trying to balance that income that growth you're trying to do all those things to replicate a pension right so our seminar is retirement strategies for tsp rollovers it's tuesday may 10th normandy farm restaurant in potomac maryland Wednesday, May 11th at Clyde's Restaurant in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. We do a dinner and talk. It starts at 6.35. Um, exactly. We are done at about 10 till 8, and then we do a full question and answer. You're going to have a lot of questions about this, and, and we know that, and, and that's a big part of this. So this is for retired from the Fed, about to retire anyone 59 and a half or older, because you can, in the federal government or out of it, you can roll over the thrift savings plan. To register, go to the phone line, 888-582-4582, or the website, planforlifenow.com. Tuesday the 10th of May, Normandy Farm, Potomac. Wednesday the 11th, Clyde's and Tyson's, 888-582-4582, or planforlifenow.com. 888-582-4582, or just go to our website and register at planforlifenow.com, 888-582-4582 or planforlifenow.com. We're done. We'll see you next Sunday.